Hello again. Now, there's a, there's a few things that I didn't get a chance to say during the Skype. Um, some things that I thought would be helpful for you to know in terms of the goal of this next series. This series is actually going to be 11 weeks long. And so here are some things that some direct ways we're hoping our church can grow. Okay? One way. We want everyone in the church to realize the fullness of their identity in Christ. To realize the fullness of their identity in Christ. Number two, in the next couple of months, we want people to see how necessary church community is towards a person's growth. It's not optional, like, but essential. And we want to equip you guys with better tools in reading the Bible. Because that's where you get your spiritual feeding, reading the Bible. So we want to give you some better tools. Number three, our three-year goal is that each person will have a better, will have both a mentor and a mentee. Hopefully it's from this church. It doesn't have to be from this church. But you have a Paul and you have a Timothy. You have someone that you're actually learning from. And you have people that you're actually passing on the faith and the Christian life towards. Okay? Now, we have, some, we have time later on to kind of unpack these, but let me just, you know, just put them up uh, for right now. <clears throat> One of the really cool things that we're doing in this series is we have lined up the children's ministry and the youth mini ministry to be tracking along the same material. So from week to week, we will be studying the same thing. There is a little bit of an exception today. Uh, today is kind of like a part two on something we started last week. But normally, week by week, we're gonna track along the same material. Now, let me explain why, okay? Let's say for you guys who are parents and we're like, hey, how's uh, mentoring your children in the Lord? Well, if you're like me, you get the kids in the car and you ask the question like, hey, what'd you learn today? And the most common response is, right, I don't know, like that, right? And then you're spending the time trying to get them to articulate it in words, and, you know, sometimes it just takes a lot of effort to even ask the question. Well, here's the thing. We want to set you guys up so that car ride can go really differently. Now, just imagine being in the car, and you're like, hey, this is what we learned in the adult service. And I already know what you guys learned because, you know, Pastor Andrew and Pastor Calvin basically told us what you learned. And so you, you have so much in common just to talk about in the, during the car ride home. Now, if you look at, towards the end of your bulletin, what we want to do every week is give you guys like icebreaker questions. So you can talk about this with your mentee, with your peers, uh, with your kids, you know? And so if you look in the, in the, on the bottom of the bulletin, you have some questions that I uh, whipped up from from really from yesterday's message, but we're going to review, I'm sorry, last week's message and today we're going to go even a little bit further. For the road, do you normally think about God's love as something you have to earn? If you were to fail or mess up in something, what do you think God would say to you? I think those are really good questions, you know? Can you, can you think of a time where you messed up? And maybe your kid will be like, well, there was this time, you know, like in school, like didn't do so well on this test. What do you think God would have said to you after you failed? You know, I think that's a great conversation question. And then you can kind of naturally weave in what you learned from last week, 
for you and this week for them, but normally we'll be tracking along the same place, okay? So we are wanting to set you guys up so that discipleship can most naturally happen in your families and among peers and uh, with your mentees. Okay, so let me actually give you a review on last week, but let me first by introducing it like this. As you can tell, I've had this fascination with technology. And you know, do you know what I've discovered recently? I have discovered the joy of texting. Okay, now I know I'm a little bit late, okay? And granted, I have a 3G, so it's really late, right? But I finally got a smartphone, and I feel a lot smarter with my smartphone. And then Rainer recently got an unlimited texting plan, and I'm texting like a teenager. I, I'm just, my, my thumbs, you know, at night, in the morning, you know, because it's so cool texting because you don't have to waste a lot of, like, um, talking time. You can just go straight for the heart of what you want to communicate, just like, bam, in 10 words, 11 words. Here's what I wanted, here's what I wanted to talk to you about. I want you guys to imagine, if God were to text you today, what do you think his message would be? I mean, just getting right down to the heart of the matter, what he wants to communicate to you today, what do you think he would say? No, it's a serious question. I really want you to think about that. Like, like it, what if it was just like 11 words? What do you think he would say to you? 11 words. Now, I imagine for a good number of us, we would probably think that God would say to us, you're not living in a way that's worthy of the gospel. Some of you, right, would think, I, I bet you that's what God would say to I bet you that's what he would say to me. Or, or some of you would say, like, he looks at you just like, ah, you're lacking in this area. And we really need to have one of those talks because you're, 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 you're lacking. I see where you're lacking. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, it's kind of like God gives his own son Jesus a text. I mean, these are the first public words that he gives to his son. Just 11 words. 11 words. That's a text, right? Right to the heart. Right to the point. This is what I want to say to you. Okay, here we go. Okay, get ready for this text. From God to Jesus. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Can someone count how many words that is? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Eleven words. That's so concise. It's like God saying, I have a message for you. It's right to the heart of the matter. I'm not going to make it, you know, very wordy, very verbose. It's just you're my son. And I am so pleased with you. That's, that's the message that he wants to communicate to his son. That's, that's the message that he's burning for his son to know. I want you to live every day just knowing how beloved you are in my sight. Just, I, I want you. I'm dazzled by you. I'm crazy about you. I look at you and I see everything good. Now, okay, theologically you're going, okay, that's what God says to Jesus. 
But that's not what he's going to say to me. Really? I know you're thinking that. In Ephesians, it says you're in Christ, doesn't it? In Christ, through Christ, in Ephesians, those first few verses, you are in Christ. What does that mean? Well, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons and daughters through Christ. That means when he looks at you, he looks through the lens of Jesus Christ. So all the affirmation he has for a son, just because he's a son or a daughter, just because he's, you're a daughter, is given to you. Because you have that place of sonship and daughtership. Do you understand what you have in Jesus? Now, in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, where did this incredible, over-the-top word of affirmation come? Did it come at the end? Don't you think it should come at the end? Like after Jesus did his, his, his most awesome work on the cross, then God to say, I'm so crazy about you and what you did. That would be most appropriate, right? Because then he, 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 he did something to earn it, right? No, Jesus hasn't even done a thing at this moment. He hasn't done one miracle. He hasn't taught one time. He, he's been in relative obscurity up to this point. It comes at the very beginning. It's not something you earn. It's something that God gave his son because he's a son, a natural son. And you are an adopted son and daughter. It's the same affirmation. Now I want you to think about this. What would your day look like if you heard this voice every morning? You saw what the ministry of Jesus looked like. Wow. What would you look like if you heard this voice for you because of what Jesus did on the cross for you? So you're, you're that son, you're that daughter in Jesus, with Jesus, through Jesus, what would your day look like in the morning if you just woke up and you heard that voice? You were my beloved. I am so crazy about you. The poise, the confidence, the grace, the power. What would your afternoon look like if during lunch you heard that voice? What would your life look like if every day you were driven and powered by this over-the-top affectionate love that comes not because you earn, but then once you hear that voice, oh my gosh, you would work harder. You would love more. You would be unstoppable. Yes, yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. And that's just the kind of life that God has called us to live. Okay, that's what our kids are learning today. That's what our youth are learning today. Do you feel like you have something to talk to them about? Can you please nod your head? Because I feel like that is so much right there. So much right there, we could spend the whole message there. And we are, but we're actually going to go further. Now, I want to say this. We're going to go further, but it's not too far. It's actually a very natural step number two, okay? Today, we're not necessarily going to talk about, I am a son, I am his daughter, but I am loved, which is a very natural part of, of sonship and daughtership. I am loved. Now, let me ask you guys this question. How many of you, by a show of hands, are utterly convinced that your mother loves you? Raise your hands. Okay. Some of you aren't raising your hands. Okay, now let me, let me say this. Uh, okay, really? Let's say I'm like trying to poke some, some doubts into your, your very firm affirmation that your mother loves you. I'm going to poke some doubts. How do you know your mom loves you? You go like, ah, she, she, she told me or something like that. Uh, talk is cheap. How do you know without a shadow of doubt that your mom loves you? And then I bet you, you would say, it's because of something she did. I can tell you tangibly 
that she loves me because I can point to this action that she did where she sacrificed for me. That's tangible, right? Now when we say, hey, you're a son, you're a daughter, you are beloved, maybe there's a part of you that says, prove it to me. And actually, God does prove it to us through a tangible action that he did. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who are in this world, he loved them to the end. Now John's like, I'm going to tell you this amazing story amazing story. This is one of the most memorable stories in my mind. If you really think about it, it'll blow you away. But look at what he does. Look at how he sets up the story, okay? During supper, when the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing, let me hear you guys say knowing. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. And then verse 4 tells about this amazing thing that he did. But really, why is John using three whole verses just to set up the story? He's saying, listen, before Jesus did this thing, I want to tell you three things that he knew. And John is almost like saying, look, before you can do, you got to know. Can you guys say, before you can do, you got to know? Before... Okay, he's suggesting that if this was true for Jesus, it's probably true for you. Before you can do, you got to know. Now, John is saying, look, Jesus knew three things, at least three things. He knew he was about to die. He knew that his father had given him all things. He knew that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, again, knowing empowers doing. There's something that you need to know about God before you can do. You need to know that your life is really, really short. Your time on earth is really, really limited. You've got to know the incredible gift that God has given you in Jesus. Oh my gosh, over the top. And you've got to know that you have been chosen by God. So you come from God, and when you depart this short life, you're going back to God. You're going to God. You belong to Him. Now, if you know these things, then you're empowered to do what comes next. But if you don't know these things, you're not empowered to do what comes next. So John's setting this up with the things that Jesus knows. Verse 5, Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Washing feet was part of ancient life. It was an act of hospitality, hygiene, and it was a religious ritual of, of cleansing. But you know something? It was really demeaning really demeaning. Now, here's a bit of a, of a confession. Um, I, <clears throat> well, this is not very professional to say this, I, um, I have, at the end of a hard day, I can have odorous feet. I do, I do. It's not the best part of me, but it's true. I, I, you know, and so, and so I, can, I, I kind of have a feeling of what's going on here and why this might be demeaning. Now, now did you guys know that like, uh, like, like 10 years ago, what was the, 15 years ago, what was the rage is a certain kind of sandal and it was called Birkenstocks, right? 
Birkenstocks. And then now that got replaced, and nowadays people wear, they wear Crocs, right? Okay, Crocs. Now, here's the thing, like, if you wear Crocs year after year, and you walk with them barefoot without, without socks, how do those Crocs smell? Now, I thought of bringing my Croc and just, have, just kind of passing it around and having everyone get, like, just, just breathe and, you know, just relate to this. Now, here is, we're in, like, Bay Area weather. Bay Area is not very hot. Okay, Israel... Okay, that's hot. That's desert hot, okay? Now, we don't wear our, our Crocs or our Birkenstocks every day. They would wear it every day. That was their shoe. We have many shoes. They didn't. Now, plus, they would go from, like, village to village or city to city, and they would have dirt roads. And so in these dirt roads, animals would walk the roads, and what do animals do? They drop feces, and so you would walk on the feces. Now, imagine how badly your Crocs smell after years and years of California weather. And I'm just asking you, how would one of their sandals smell? After walking all around the place, you got sweat, you got dirt, you got animal feces, and it's the only shoe. How does that smell? This is demeaning work. You know it's demeaning work, right? A, 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 a Jewish slave owner could not ask his Jewish slave to wash his feet. It's just, it's just too demeaning. It's just, you don't do that. Jesus Christ took off his clothes, put a towel around his waist. It's the lowest kind of slave. That's the identity of the lowest kind of slave. You put that towel around your waist. He stooped down and he started to wash his disciples' feet, including Judas. This is... This is... Uh, this is pretty incredible. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? What would you say to Jesus if it was your turn and he came to you? What would you say to him? No, don't, don't wash my feet. I don't want to imagine you, my, my Lord, my King, and my, I don't want to see you doing that. You don't deserve that. That's demeaning for you. Well, don't, why would you do that? Don't do that. To, don't do that for me. I should be doing that for you. I didn't even offer. Why you, why you, don't do that. Don't be like that. You know, get up. Verse 7, Jesus answered, What I'm doing for you, you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. What, what is this whole thing? I'm, what I'm doing really, you don't understand, but you will understand. You'll get it later. What is he talking about? Okay, what's what, the most demeaning thing that I can do for another person is wash their feet. What's the most demeaning way to die? You get drowned, you're stoned, you know, you get beheaded, you be suffocated. What's the most demeaning way to die? It's death on a cross. There is no more demeaning way for a person to die than the death on a cross. I've shared this with you before, but people think that when, when people die from crucifixion, it's because, oh, well, you know, they drill uh, nails into the hands, and that's got to really, really hurt. And then suddenly there's blood loss, right? There's blood loss, and so you die. It's not blood loss. They want to torture you up there. People would hang there for days and days, not dying of blood loss, but of suffocation. No, you're suspended on a cross 
What's holding you up? The only thing that's holding you up is your feet, and your feet are nailed to the cross, so it's like a nail that's holding you up, right? And so you, you push up, and then you can breathe, but then after days and days, you get tired, and you slump, and so then your, your chest caves in. And then you, you, you know why they would break the legs? So that you don't have any more support. Jesus is like, you know, I am going to wash your feet. It's a tangible need, but you don't even see your deeper need. Your deeper need is for your spirit and your soul to be cleansed. I'm going to go on a cross. I'm going to be hanged. I'm going to die for the penalty of your sins. That's what you really need. And me washing your feet, you don't understand this now, but you will, like, you'll get it later on. I'm going to pay the ultimate price, the ultimate, most demeaning, torturous sacrifice because I love you. Me washing your feet is the same thing I'm going to do in a couple of days when I'm hanging on my cross and I'm paying the penalty for your sin because we all need someone to do that for us. We need a Savior. All of us in this room. Come on. We haven't, we've said things that we shouldn't say. We've done things that we shouldn't have done. We've even thought things that we shouldn't have thought. And it's not just the things that we've done, but it's the things that we haven't done. And so our, our, our souls are disdained. I mean, you think about the dirty Birkenstock. What about your soul? It's stained. We need that cleansing. And Jesus is like, I'm going to pay the ultimate price to cleanse you. I'm going to do it. Now, it may not be the need that you realize, but trust me, it is your deepest need. Verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, okay, not, not my feet only, but also my, my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. I, I just want to do a little bit of teaching and, and then we'll move on. So when Jesus says, uh, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. Basically what he's saying is once a person has received Jesus, they're clean. But daily after that, we continue to sin and so we need daily confession. But generally, once you've asked Jesus to save you, bam, it's done. But you also need that feet washing, if you will, the daily cleansing of saying, Lord, my heart's not right. You know, cleanse me. I'm continuing to sin. Cleanse me. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm going to unpack these verses, but first I want to introduce Quest to come up here. One of the reasons why I'm sharing John 13 with you is because as I was reading Quest's testimony for his baptism today, John 13 and the unconditional love of God was right there at the very center. So what better way to talk about the unconditional love of God and our call to unconditionally love each other than by having Quest himself come up here and just share his story.
Jesus says, look, I'm your Lord and teacher, right? Absolutely. Jesus says, look at what I have done. If you call me Lord and teacher, then you have to do the same thing that I've done. I've called you to wash each other's feet. Now, now listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 17. If you know these things, you're like, oh yeah, I've ha- I do know these things. 90% of us in this room have heard this story before. You know these things. You've heard of agape love. You've heard of the concept of unconditional. If you know these things, blessed are you for knowing them, right? But that's not what Jesus said. What, what does he say? Blessed are you if you... If you do them, okay, suddenly there's a bit of conviction that's entered this room, right? I mean, I'm here like John Thurman. Yeah, I I know that. Pastor Andrew, I know that. Yeah, but you don't get any points for knowing it. Jesus said, you are blessed if you do it. Now you go, okay, well, what do you mean wash feet? Like, am I supposed to go around with like a, a bucket and a towel and just wash people's feet? Well... No, no, I think that's metaphorical. What does it mean to wash feet? I want to give you maybe a new definition, maybe a definition that you haven't really thought of. It's not comprehensive. It's not the only thing that it means, but Quest, if you would stand up. Quest is standing up here, probably over there. He might have some feet that need washing. I definitely have some feet that need washing, okay? Now, we have a right to be, for him to be in his space and for me to be in my space. It just He has a, that right, and I have my right to be here. To wash another person's feet, four words, you go to them. You go to them. Now, for me to engage Quest where he's at in his place of need means I, I have every right to be here, but I, I let go of that right, and I get down on my knees, and I gauge him in his place of need. I go to quest. <clears throat> you can sit down. I want you to take a look at the people around you. What are their needs? What does it look like for you to let go of your right, to stand tall, to stoop down, and to meet them in their places of need? What are those places of need? Now, if you're, if you're married, I want you to uh, think about the needs of your spouse. Like husbands, if you were to take a long searching look at your wife, what are her needs? What does she need from you to thrive? Maybe the thing she needs most from you, I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but maybe what she needs is quality time. Maybe. Maybe, maybe she needs Undivided quality time, maybe. And wives, if you were to take a long searching look at your husband, what does he need from you? Maybe the thing he needs from you is just time to veg out on the couch and watch football. I'm just, can I get an amen somewhere? No one? No, I know you guys are amening in your heart. You're like, amen, preach it, Andrew. But, but we have different needs. I'm not saying stereotypical gender needs. I'm just saying, what are their needs? Parents, what does each of your kids need from you? What does it look like? I go to them. I meet them at their need. You know what my son needs from me? My son needs from me as a dad. I basically say, hey, Christopher, hey, Ryan, 
stop what you're doing and come on board with what I want you to do. Do piano, do homework. I think my children need for me sometimes to get on their level and enter into their playground and just have fun with them. And then to catch them doing something right and go, hey, I loved it how you do that, instead of just catching them doing something wrong and saying, hey, we need a correction, we need to talk. Children, what do you think your parents need from you? What do you think your parents need from you? I bet you that if you just call them on the phone, or you can talk to them here at church, and just said, listen, I just want to tell you about what's been going on with me, what's in my mind, in my heart, I'm just opening up to you. Oh my gosh, they would love that. You would be meeting them in their place of need. I'm telling you right now, as a, as a dad, that would mean so much to me if my children would do that for me. And when you get older, it's just even more. They just want you to share what's going on inside with them instead of, uh-huh, fine, it's okay, whatever, right? Right? Those are, those are tangible needs. This one's fun. Daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws. This one's a fun one, okay? Can you imagine what's the number one need that mother, mother-in-law said they wanted from their children? Number one need. Can you guess? Anyone want to guess? The need to be appreciated. The need to be appreciated. And for the, the children-in-law, what's the number one need they have of their in-laws? I have the need to not be criticized. Right? I have the need to be praised instead of criticized. What are the needs of those who are around you? Your roommate's need. Your boyfriend-girlfriend's need. What is the need of the homeless man that you pass by every day? I'm not saying what he wants. I'm saying what does he need? Maybe what he really needs is just someone to acknowledge him and give him dignity. I would just submit to you that the love of Christ is not necessarily what you want, but it's really what you need. And a lot of times what you really need is also what you want. This is my last imparting thought to you. It's just a little bit of a confession. I was reading the scripture this week and I was really getting convicted. I realized that I haven't been needing the needs of my wife. Last Wednesday, she needed me to not criticize her, to clean my tool chest, and to understand what she was feeling, and all three I, I failed. But my complaint was, I am so tired, I'm not getting my needs met. How can I possibly meet your needs? That's, that was my number one my feeling. But here's the thing, you will never be able to really meet someone's need. Go down, down, down and serve unless you know that Jesus Christ does that for you first. God, Son, stooped down. He became a human being. And if that wasn't enough, he stooped low and he washed feet. And if that wasn't enough, he hung on a cross to meet your needs. Now, once you know that, that he met your needs, your deepest need for salvation, then it changes you. Then it's not like I have to do this, but I can't believe he would do that for me. That God's son would sacrifice himself for me. That God would trade his life for mine. I'm blown away by that. The least I can do is understand my wife, clean up my tool chest, and stop criticizing her. least I can do. You see, you have no power for unconditional love until you know the unconditional love of God's Son who held on the cross thinking about you, paying for your penalty, loving you to the end. Now you got love. Now you get love. Now you're free to love.
Would you all stand with me as I, as I pray? Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ who showed us what real love is and we are not empowered to love. We're not empowered to love until we first know his love. Help us to know his love, to be transformed by his love. And then the most natural thing to do is just get down on our knees and say, I'll meet your need because Jesus Christ met my need. In his name we pray.